and open your Bible to Acts chapter 13. To my knowledge, uh, these are the greatest things that God ever invented. There is nothing better than a hot box of Shipley's Donuts. I love when they pull them out of the grease. I mean, that's just how you know they're not healthy for you if the word grease is involved. They pull them right out of there, and then they take the icing, and they pour it over it like Niagara Falls. No drizzling here. Dump icing on it, and then they put them straight into the box. There's just nothing better than that. Shipley's Donuts may not be your thing. Maybe it's a juicy steak. Maybe it's mashed potatoes. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe your thing is asparagus. I'm not really sure. All I know is that food is central to our lives. Not just to give us what we need to sustain our lives, but it's the center of our community. When we gather with people we love, we're usually doing it around food. When we want to help someone who's hurting, we volunteer to bring food. Food is foundational to us. Even if you are healthy and even if you wouldn't be caught a hundred miles from this box, your life still revolves around food because you like to feel fit and healthy. But to do that, you need food and you need certain kinds of food. You need to be thinking about what you're eating. You need to be eating at certain times. Food is foundational. So why on earth would God organize us occasionally to go without food? It's called fasting, and you can see in your listening guide, that's what we're talking about. Today, fasting is withdrawing from food in order to pray and worship, right? withholding food from ourselves for the purpose of replacing it with prayer and worship. And I want to invite you to fast with us next week, actually, for Holy Week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of next week. We want to fast together as a family. So I thought it would be helpful before we did that if we knew why we should do it and, and a little bit about how to do it. So Acts chapter 13, you can see in your listening guide, there are quite a few things that I would love for you to write down. The first one is we fast to focus on God. Why should we fast? We fast to focus on God. It says in chapter 13, verse 1, Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Of course, we're just jumping right into the middle of the story. We don't know how this story started. We don't know why. Barnabas and Saul and the others are fasting in Antioch, only that they were fasting. And in the midst of their fasting, God said, I want you to set apart Barnabas and Saul, who we later know as Paul, because they're getting ready to start their missionary journeys. And because of this moment right here, because of fasting and praying, all of us are in this room today. Without this moment, probably the gospel does not make it here to the United States of America. We fast to focus on God, to give God the opportunity to speak to us in the way that he spoke to to these people. And we need focus because we are a distracted people. Last week I was at a stoplight and I looked over into the car next to me because I'm nosy. And the guy 
had his phone in a hands-free listening device contraption, which is good, except for he was watching a movie. (laughs) And the movie hadn't just started. I mean, he had been watching it the whole time that he had been driving because that's who we are now. We've lost the ability to just focus on one thing. Did you know that the average person picks up their phone to check it 80 times per day? Pick it up to check Instagram, pick it up to check your email, pick it up to check Twitter, pick it up to check Facebook, pick it up to just, just sometimes you just pick it up and it's in your hand. You don't even know why it's in your hand, but we've lost the ability to focus on one thing. When we are cleaning, we're listening to something. When we're fixing our cars, we're listening to something. When we're watching TV, we're also checking the internet. We're watching the NCAA tournament. We're checking the internet at the same time. We are distracted people. Then you add on top of that all of our responsibilities, our to-do lists, uh, the expectations of other people. But God gives us fasting as an opportunity to say, I'm going to focus on God because the hunger reminds us to think about God. When you withhold something as foundational as food, It gives you that reminder, that prompt. Oh, yeah. God is here and God is near. And I think I'll take the opportunity to pray. So we fast to focus on God. Number two, we fast because we are brokenhearted. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel's people, Israel, have been taken captive by the Babylonians. Israel's been completely destroyed. And now Daniel and hundreds of thousands of other Israelites find themselves living in Babylon. And Daniel began to search the scrolls of the prophet Jeremiah to see if God had put in there how long they would be in Babylon. Because the prophet Jeremiah had been going before all of this and saying, warning, 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 warning. And so Daniel searches these scrolls and he finds out that there is a beginning and there is an end. And this is what it says in verse three. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps the covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Daniel searches these scrolls and he comes out brokenhearted, brokenhearted for his people who were once a healthy, whole, vibrant people living in and around Jerusalem. And now Jerusalem has been destroyed. Israel is essentially no more. They're all living in captivity in Babylon. And Daniel is brokenhearted. And his response to that broken heart is to fast and plead for, with God for mercy. When we have things in America and in the world that happen, it breaks our hearts, but then we feel we have to choose sides. Because those are the options that are given to us. You're either red or you're blue. Either black or you're white. You have to choose a side. But it shouldn't be so easy for Jesus followers to just be categorized by one side. Because God speaks into our whole lives. He cares about our whole lives. Christianity is not just reduced to a few moral bullet points. 
So we shouldn't be easily labeled one side or the other. Sometimes there is a side to choose. That is clear. There's right and there's wrong. But we choose right, but then we feel helpless in having any effect to undercut the wrong. So we're just brokenhearted, and then all we have left is to name call or demonize the other side. But what if the church responded, instead of choosing a side... Or choosing a side and feeling powerless. What if the church began to respond to national events and global events with fasting? What if instead of paying lobbyists to lobby for us on behalf of our Christian beliefs, we just started fasting and praying? How much more compelling do you think that we would be as Christians, Jesus followers in America, if that's how we responded to things? The Christians are serious about this issue. How do we know they're serious? Because they tweeted it? No, because they sent out one of their spokesmen to get on the news? No, because they stopped eating. And they replaced eating with prayer. So if you have a broken heart and you don't know what to do, like Daniel, let your broken heart lead to fasting and praying. Finally, number three, on why should we fast? We should fast to fulfill our calling. 1 Kings chapter 19. The prophet Elijah has won an epic battle. He faced off against some other prophets. He was the prophet of the one true God. There were hundreds of these prophets of Baal, an idol that Israel had been worshiping instead of God. And Elijah wins this victory. And if Elijah's life were a movie, the movie should end right then, except for his life is not a movie, and it didn't end right then. And this is what happens in chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Ahab was the king. Jezebel was the queen. If anyone was questioning who was in charge of Israel at the time, it was not the king. It was the queen, Jezebel, and she was wicked. And this is what it says happened after that. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow, essentially said, she said, I'm going to kill you within 24 hours. Verse 3, then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Oreb. The mount of God. So Jezebel says to Elijah, I'm going to kill you within 24 hours. Elijah has won this major victory. God showing himself so strong on behalf of Elijah. And Elijah's response is to run away and hide. Then once he's hidden, he just lays down to die. Even prays to God, I want to die. An angel appears to him and says, you need to eat this. Elijah eats. He lays down again. Another angel comes to him and says, you need to eat this. Elijah eats, and then it says that in the strength of that food, so that was his last meal, he goes to Mount Oreb and spends 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain, known as the mountain of God, 
with God, and there God powerfully speaks to him in an unmistakable way. Which this story could confirm all of our worst fears about fasting, which is fasting is for spiritual giants, not regular people like me. Of course, fasting is for Elijah, a prophet of God, who's able to go to the mountain of God and fast for 40 days and 40 nights. I can't do anything for 40 days and 40 nights, let alone not eat for 40 days and 40 nights. And plus, I don't know about you, but I've not seen the mountain of God here in Cyprus, Texas somewhere. Fasting must be for spiritual giants. But what we see in this story is that sometimes our spiritual giants aren't that gigantic. major victory. Elijah could not be any higher, and in just 24 hours, he could not be any lower. So here's the thing about the spiritual giants, those people that we look up to and idolize, who are everything that we wished we were spiritually. They're not that different than us. But for most of us, so far, they've just been more committed than us. That's the only difference. They've put in a little bit more time and a little bit more perseverance than we've been yet willing to put in. We want to read our Bible. They actually do. We want to pray. They follow through. That's the only difference. They don't have a special connection to God that is not available to you. Even sometimes, like Elijah, our spiritual giants aren't that giant. They're just regular, regular people. And he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights and everything changes for him. God does speak to him. He's able to fulfill the calling that God had placed on his life. I believe that God has a calling on all of our lives in here today. It's not just reserved to those who are the most committed or the most spiritual. He has a specific assignment in this season he wants you to accomplish. And that calling is going to be very difficult. And in that calling, you're going to be misunderstood. In that calling, you're going to be frustrated. In that calling, you're going to reach dead ends. In that calling, you're going to want to quit. For years, Amanda and I felt like God was leading us to to lead and then start a church. So we started Bayou City six and a half years ago. About six Sundays in, I had something on my schedule. We had something on our schedule. We needed to be out of town. So it was going to be the first time that I had missed our church. And it felt like when you're a brand new parent and you leave that kid for the first time with somebody, you just start texting nonstop. How is he eating? How is he drinking? Has he taken a nap? How many times has he pooped? I mean, you would not, you know, when you're in college, you're not thinking one day I'm going to type the word poop to somebody in a serious way, you know, <laughs> until you have that first kid. And then it's, it's like the most natural question to ask. Right? And we felt like that that first time that we ever missed church. Unbeknownst to us, one of our friends who attended a different church came to visit that Sunday that we were gone and just came to love on us and support us. But instead of doing that, what he did was he typed up an email and he sent it to me uh, the next day uh, with a list of all the criticisms that he had about the church and things we might consider changing. Which in hindsight was probably good information, but those are, that's something that you want to be asked to do, not volunteer to do. Right? <laughs> And I, I remember thinking to myself, like, should we quit? Like, like, is that right? Like, is this worthless? Six Sundays in, and already thought about laying it down. 
over, over something so small in hindsight. But if you have a calling, which I believe that you do, you're going to have a version of that email waiting for you. It's going to be hard. And to fulfill it, God gives us the tool of fasting to strengthen us, to give us the perseverance, to give us the clarity to remind ourselves that Jezebel's voice is not as powerful as God's voice. That's why we should fast. How, how should we fast? Next in your listening guide. We fast because we want to. Matthew chapter 6. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. We fast because we want to. The first time I, I fasted in a, what I would consider an official way, I was in college, and there was an organization that was hosting a day of fasting and prayer in Memphis, Tennessee. And my college roommate and I decided that we were going to go and participate in this event. And we brought along a high school friend of ours who was kind of you know, our friend slash somebody that we were investing our life in, and we cared about his spiritual development. And so we talked him into coming along. My roommate and I, we were committed to the day of fasting and prayer. But our other friend, he was just coming along for the ride to Memphis and to have a good time. So when we got there and we said, oh, we're not eating uh, from eight in the morning to five at night, he was just did not understand why anybody thought that was a good idea. And the organization that was hosting the event, they knew that not everybody is able to fast all day like that. So they thought it was responsible to put concession stands all around the place that we were fasting and praying. And so some people fasted and some people didn't. And, and all day long, he wanted to go to one of those concession stands. But we thought, no, you can't go. This is a day of fasting and prayer. It's even in the title, day of fasting and prayer. Plus, if you do go, we're not eating. We don't want you bringing a delicious hot dog over here while we're trying to concentrate on prayer instead. So we made him fast the whole day. At five o'clock, when the final amen was said, he jumped up and sprinted to the nearest concession stand and brought back one of everything. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he didn't accomplish very much during that day of fasting and prayer, right? Because fasting is something that you do because you want to. Jesus says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites he's referring to are the Pharisees, a religious group. They find themselves as the opponents of Jesus all the way through the Gospels, and they were dedicated to the law of God, which on paper sounds so right, and yet they were getting it so wrong. Because God said to fast, but for them... They weren't fasting because God said to fast in the law. They were fasting because it was scheduled. Well, this is the day that we fast. They were just following the law and not following God. They weren't fasting because they wanted to out of an expression of their faith. They were fasting because they thought they ought to. And when it comes to fasting, Jesus takes the ought to off the table. There are lots of things that you should do because you ought to do them. But in the scripture, fasting is not one. You fast because you are compelled by one of the three earlier reasons. This is something that I want to do. The second thing, how should we fast? We should fast without pride. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. 
This is not a good promotion for our fasting next week, but fasting is hard. Uh, when you fast, you get grumpy. When you fast, you feel awful. When you fast, you get cranky with everyone, which to me is a little bit different than grumpy. Grumpy is how I feel on the inside. Cranky is when the grumpiness comes out. (laughs) So these Pharisees who are fasting because it's scheduled to fast, they were feeling all that when they would go a day or a couple of days without food. And they thought, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this internal struggle? We're doing it because we ought to do it, but we're not getting any credit for it because this is an internal battle that we're facing. We want that food. It tastes delicious. We're withholding it from ourselves because we're supposed to be praying, but nobody even knows that we're overcoming these cravings inside of us. So somebody thought of a good idea. Well, hey, what if we make our outside look like how we feel on the inside? We feel bad on the inside because we're not eating. And let's make our face look sad and bad on the outside. Normally, we take baths and comb our hair and get ready, but we don't feel like that on the inside when we're fasting. We feel frustrated and out of sorts. Well, we'll just look out of sorts. That way, we get dual credit. First time I ever heard of dual credit, I was a senior in high school. They were offering a class to us seniors. We could take it, and, and it counted for our graduation, but I mean, you know how it works. But it could also t- count towards our first year of college because of the material and the testing and the teaching. And so lots of people took advantage of that. And I think that's what most of us want spiritually. We want dual credit. We want credit with God, and we want credit with people. Yeah. I want credit with God. And lots of things that I do start with God. But if it can end with credit with people, that's a bonus. So I totally understand how the Pharisees would stop washing their faces and stop combing their hair, stop getting dressed in the way they normally get dressed. Because I want dual credit. The word hypocrite is a Greek word that originally was just applied to actors. It was somebody who put on a show But Jesus makes it clear when you fast, there is no audience. It isn't a show. It's not for other people to see. Which leads us to the next thing. You fast knowing that God sees you. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Jesus tells us when we fast, we have God's attention, so we don't need anyone else's attention. Which is very difficult when you have a social media account. Love social media. There's so many great things about it. I love knowing what is happening in the lives of people that I care about and love. Even strangers sometimes, it's interesting. I I love following people who have spiritual things to say that I can grow and be encouraged and inspired by their words. There's so many great things about social media. One of the traps, though, is what Jesus is talking about because it's so easy to let everybody know the good that we're doing. Just in a few minutes, we can let everybody know that we're fasting or praying or reading the Scripture. You remember that saying, uh, if a tree falls in the woods but no one is there to hear it, did it really fall? The same as if you read your Bible but don't post it on the internet, did you really read your Bible at all? That's a new saying. 
Because it's so easy. It's so easy to read a little bit of the scripture, set it down next to your cup of coffee, get the right angle, get the right filter on it. And in 30 seconds, it's, it's on the internet. It's so easy to, to go and serve people and then tell everybody that you went and served people. Just another thing that we're doing. But Jesus draws a line and said, it's okay to let everybody know what you had for breakfast. It's not okay to let them know when you're not eating breakfast because you're fasting. There are some things that are just for God to see. But I know that God uses our social media accounts and he uses our words and the stories that we tell when we get back to work on Monday to lead people to Christ, to inspire them to follow Jesus. There's good things that happen. So how do I know when I should keep something secret or when I should use that testimony? Well, I brought a few questions with me that may be helpful. Should I post this? Will this help someone? When deciding whether or not you should put your spiritual acts of service online, will this help someone? And if the only person it will help is you get attention, don't post it. What am I doing that no one will know about? See, here's the danger about living our life out in front of everyone is sometimes the impression that we give is actually deeper than the reality that's there. So if everything that you do for the Lord, someone else knows, stop posting. For every one thing that you post publicly, there should be five things that you do in secret. Did this start with a desire for God or as something to post? Did you think, you know, a picture of my Bible would be really awesome online right now. So I'm going to read a little bit. And then I'm going to post it. Just keep it to yourself. Do I love the people or the attention more? This is how you know if you really want to use your testimony to help people. Is that you'll love the people more than you love the attention. And listen, some of us love the attention. And that attention is what we think about most of the time. And if that's the case then just keep it to yourself. You think, well, no, nobody will know. The only person that will know is the only one who needs to know. And that's God. Because he sees in secret, which leads us to the next thing. We fast knowing that God rewards us. We fast knowing that God rewards us. Verse 18. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Two great things happen when you fast. Number one, you pray. The hunger reminds us to think about God. It pushes us to pray. And when you pray, you realize what Jesus said is true. That we really do have a Father, a good Father, who knows how to give good gifts to his children, and he answers our prayers. This past week, uh, some of you may know that we have another Bayou City that's uh, in, in town, and, and they've been meeting in a school for six years. 
And so we've recently purchased some property so that they could have a permanent home. It's a warehouse, and that warehouse needs to be renovated. And, and there have been lots of delays along the way. In fact, we were supposed to be worshiping in it just in a week from now. But this little thing called Hurricane Harvey happened, and there was some permitting that happened. And long story short, there's been quite a delay. Centerpoint Energy is going to be our energy provider. They're the ones who install the power. And uh, I heard last week that they give themselves a six-month window to install it. So you thought your cable guy was frustrating when he said, I'll be there from 8 to noon. Think about somebody saying, I'll be there between January and June or between June and December. That was the word that we got. And, you know, I don't know anybody at Centerpoint Energy. If any of you are the CEO, we could really use your help. I don't know if you can just send an email on our behalf, but, you know. So the only thing I knew to do was just write it down and start praying. A few days later... Same person who told me it could be six months said, uh, we found out yesterday it, it, it's gonna only going to be about six weeks. So I don't know what happened. I don't know. Maybe somebody messed up. Maybe six months was never real. Somebody just got their days wrong. I don't know. Or it could be that it was six months and we started praying and God says, no, only six weeks. I don't know. All I know is that I prayed and God answered that we have a good father who's able to give good gifts to his children. And when you fast and pray, you actually pray and you see, oh, that really is true. He doesn't answer all of my prayers like that. Some of them take a long time. Sometimes he says no. But when we fast, we see that he answers. The second great thing that happens when you fast and pray is Jesus promises you that God will reward you separate from that answered prayer. Eternal reward. Which is going to be good news because you may have tried to fast before or you may fast with us next week and somewhere in the middle you're going to think, I'm not getting a lot out of this. This is just hard. First time I fasted for more than a day. I was doing five days. It was awful. I felt awful. I didn't feel close to God. I felt like somebody had promised me that I would if I fasted. I mean, I'm doing like this, this spiritual giant kind of stuff. I didn't feel close to God. I didn't feel like he was hearing my prayers. All I felt was hungry. And on day four and a half, I drove by a Denny's. And I turned that baby in reverse. And I, I don't even like Denny's. And I went in and I ordered everything. Grand slams, all of it. Because I thought, I'm not getting anything out of this. This is really hard. And this is hard and awful. And I'm not feeling any of the spiritual benefit right now. And I wish that somebody had said, hey, read Matthew chapter 6 again. There's no promise in there about the moment of fasting. The promises that God will reward you. So it could be that you fast next week and next week is nothing special. there's a prize waiting on you in eternal life. So I'd love to invite you to fast with us next week. You don't have to. You don't do it because you ought to. You don't do it because somebody next to you is. You don't do it because the church family is. You do it if you want to, and, and you do it because maybe you're distracted today. And you care enough about your relationship with Jesus to say, I'm going to let physical hunger be the thing that cuts through 
all this distraction. And maybe you're brokenhearted today. Maybe you're brokenhearted about what's going on in your life, around your life, in our nation, in the world. Maybe you have a calling, and I believe that you do. You feel like you want to quit right now. But if we fast, we're not fasting for other people. We're not posting about it online. We're not telling the world, our God, who sees in secret, he's going to reward us one day. Let's pray. Why don't you ask God, are you speaking to me today? Jesus, we hear your words. He who has ears, let him hear. So give us those ears. We want to hear your voice. We want to do your will.